I invite you to take a Bible now and to open it to the book of the Psalms. We'll be looking at Psalm 27 this morning. And this is such an encouraging psalm to read, I think, as I have the opportunity in very difficult situations to come alongside people who are often on hospital beds and either anticipating a surgery or recently receiving a diagnosis of some kind. I do think uh, that it's fair to say uh, the the runner-up to Psalm 23 in terms of its uh, comfort that it brings people as I just read Scripture to them is Psalm 27, uh, that it just speaks to people's hearts and souls, especially in a, in a time of uncertainty or anxiety, uh, to, to be reminded of the confidence that we can have because of the God that we serve. This is Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And that concludes Psalm 27. This psalm uh, for commentators who seek to classify the psalms in different categories, it, it has a way of being difficult to classify because we have some psalms that are exclusively praise and they're hymns of praise. And we have some psalms that are exclusively songs of lament and crying out in desperation or in, in, in pain and in agony. And this psalm uh, has a little bit of both. It is mostly uh, a psalm of praise. Uh, there's a strong uh, confidence and expectation that the psalmist has as it opens up in this uh, rhetorical um, questioning that, that exudes the confidence of the psalmist to say, of whom shall I be afraid and of whom shall I fear because the Lord is my light and my salvation. And yet, as the psalm continues, we realize that part of 
why the psalmist is talking to himself in this way is that his circumstances are difficult. He is seeking after the Lord. He is surrounded by enemies and by people who are, are making war against him. And so though it is mostly a, a psalm of praise and an, an expression of, of confidence in God, there's the reality that that is a, a prayer that is being offered up in faith. It's not immediately represented in the psalmist's immediate circumstances. He's going through hard times while he's remembering beautiful truths about God and why he can be trusted. Uh, and so uh, I submit to you this is a song that, first of all, it's a song of humble confidence. It is a song of humble confidence. We don't usually think of those two things as going together. Uh, when we meet people who are, uh, seem to be very confident in themselves uh, or in the future, uh, sometimes that comes across to us as a sense of pride or arrogance. And when we meet people who are humble, uh, sometimes we think of that in our own minds mistakenly as primarily uh, a low view of oneself or um, a lack of certainty or confidence about the future. Uh, but here, the psalmist uh, is able to express these things together, where there is confidence that flows out of humility in himself, but not a sense of humility, if you will, in terms of God and who God is. And so humility is a virtue, and we are encouraged by scriptures to be humble about our own opinions and to not just automatically trust our own ways, but to seek the wisdom of other people and ultimately to seek the counsel of God. And so we are supposed to be humble, but the scriptures give us all kinds of reasons why we're supposed to trust God and not doubt who he is and the purposes that he lays out for us and what he's ultimately seeking to accomplish. And so we are supposed to be able to be humble in ourselves, in our own strength or abilities, but at the same time confident that God is who he said he is, that he keeps his promises and he keeps his word and that he can be relied upon. And so the, the, the psalmist doesn't uh, look back on his own past as a psalm of David. He doesn't look back and say, you know, I beat Goliath before, and so that's why I'm not afraid of anybody. That, that's not where his confidence lies. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, and so of whom shall I be afraid? It's the Lord who is the stronghold of my life, and so uh, what shall I fear? And then as he goes on, he not only senses that it's the Lord who's primarily his source of strength, his salvation, his stronghold, but the Lord is also the, the object of his desire. And he says that the, this one thing I seek after, and that's to be able to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to enjoy fellowship and communion with the Lord, uh, to inquire with him in his temple. And so in all these ways, this is a God-centered psalm that exudes with confidence that God is who he said he is. He, is uh, he will keep the promises that he has made, and he is the ultimate end or objective or thing that the psalmist is hoping and longing to have fellowship with forever. But there's a, a humility on his part to recognize that that strength is God's, that beauty is God's, and it, it gives him resources that he needs, but those resources aren't uh, within and of himself. And so there's a, a humble 
plea, and eventually that humility comes out as he acknowledges his own neediness in his prayer and saying, God, I need your help. Uh, You told me to seek after you, and I am seeking after you. Uh, So I'm coming to you, and I'm telling you I need something, but you're the one who told me to come, and you're the one who keeps your promises, and so I'm going to accept your invitation to come. But I believe that because of who you are, I, though I'm needy, though I'm weak, I can do things that I wouldn't have thought of that I could do before. Because you're there to help me, because you'll be my stronghold, I can do things I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. This was illustrated for us in a fun way yesterday. Uh, Today is the 70th birthday of my uncle Mike Shipush, uh, and he is a twin, and his twin sister from Canada, my Aunt Mita, was able to come together, and we were able to have a a collective 70th uh, birthday party for the two of them. And it was at a lake just south of uh, Carrollton, uh, so a little over an hour away from here. And so as the invitation came out to come and celebrate uh, these two birthdays in our family and that we'd be at a lake, then it was announced, you know, there'll be a pontoon boat, there'll be a canoe, there'll be kayaks. And so come prepared to enjoy the water if you can. And our kids are various level of abilities and skill when it relates to water. Uh, And some of them are more confident and some are growing in their confidence. But we wanted to be prepared as we went to it to allow them to be able to participate in as many of the activities as they could. And so we borrowed some life jackets as we went down. And it was fun as a parent to see that when we put the life jacket on them and said, they already know because they've had enough experiences with water to say water's not a joke, water's not a game. We can play and have fun on water, but we have to, we have to respect it appropriately. We're not made for uh, the water. We have to learn how to handle it and how to do it. And then all of a sudden, when they got uh, what they knew and understood to be something that would provide safety for them in the midst of that, they started off on the pontoon boat and then just quickly wanted to keep moving on to the next thing, to the point that then they wanted to be on their own kayaks with just the complete freedom with nobody else uh, helping them or guiding them as they went out on the water. And it was fun and beautiful to observe their sense of bravery and and growing confidence uh, in their ability to do that because they, they believed, one, that people were around them who loved them and cared for them and were taking care of them, but they also had something close to them that was able to keep them safe should things go wrong. That's the kind of humble confidence that I think this psalmist is describing, that when we believe that the Lord is ultimately our salvation and the Lord is our stronghold and the Lord is the one uh, whom we're longing to be with ultimately forever and eternity, that we can, it should affect the way we behave. It should affect uh, the way in which we can approach this world. Uh, and so that's the next one. This is a, a song of humble confidence that invites our courageous action. Uh, it's, a, it's a song of humble confidence that invites our courageous action. And so David is not crying out, oh God, you're so great and awesome, and so I don't have to do anything. But rather, God, you are so great and you're so strong that I, I need to take courage as, as the psalmist ends. It says, be strong and let your heart take courage. And as he's feeling surrounded by enemies and there's war around him, as again, King David is writing this not just as a devotional thought, but as a leader of a nation. And uh, there are real enemies and real battles that are being faced around him. Uh, there's a need for the people who trust in God to take courageous action 
to seek after him, to make decisions that are in accord with his will and not use God's strength or his glory or even the reality that will be with him one day as an excuse for inaction and to not do things. But instead, the people of God are invited to take courage. It says to sing songs of joy, to make melodies, to seek his face and pursue him. And David is doing that in this psalm. He's taking the truths that he knows about God and he's pursuing after him as he's asking for God's ability as he's surrounded by all of these enemies to ultimately handle it with courage and to take uh, action, to accept the responsibility that God has already given him to carry out uh, whatever it is he's been called to. I remember a time in my life when there was a, somebody who was older than me that I looked up to and his passion for the Lord and his study of the word. And eventually that passion kind of drifted to the point where in his desire to have direct encounters with God, he basically took this approach that I don't want to do anything if I don't sense the Lord clearly telling me that this is what I'm supposed to do today. Which initially sounds almost noble or good, but it got to the point where it meant, well, I'm not going to get out of bed unless God tells me to get out of bed. And I'm not going to shower unless God tells me to shower. And I'm not going to go to work unless God tells me to go to work. And I'm not going to... And all of a sudden, it became uh, more concerning. You say, wait a minute. <laughs> what you already know about God and who he is and what he said should already invite you to say, if, if every day he's given you is a gift from him, then every day you're supposed to love him with your heart, soul, and mind. Every day you're supposed to take on the responsibility of being a husband and being a parent and being a neighbor. You don't need extra encouragement to do that. What you know from the Lord should give you the ability to face each day. And every day goes differently. And surely we can get into so many routines in our day that we all need to take moments to pause and say, God, do I keep doing this all the time because I'm supposed to do this? Or is this honoring to you? Should I change some of my habits and do some things differently? And it's perfectly appropriate for us to reevaluate our habits. But as his children, we are called to regularly follow after him, to do the everyday and normal things that we wouldn't necessarily immediately think of as requiring courage, but it really takes courage to face each new day when we've been discouraged or when we know we're going to have to have a difficult conversation or there's a different challenge at work that hopefully what we believe about God and what we remember in our confidence in him gives us the ability to have courage to act, to not be passive, but to actually act. And a lot of times here again, when we think of courageous action, I don't know if it does for you, but in my mind, there's always an image of something abrasive that comes to my mind when I say that. And this doesn't necessarily have to be abrasive. Actually, I think it's helpful if it's not abrasive action uh, most of the time. But we all have voices in our head and, and things that we remember in our past that can regularly discourage us from taking a new step to building a new relationship, to meeting new people, or, or treating people with kindness. And the courage that we need to act is to believe that we can, in spite of our sin, in spite of our shame, in spite of our even difficult past circumstances, 
that God has new mercies for us each day. He has blessings for us if we'll receive them each and every day. Uh, this, again, was um, vividly illustrated in our own home. This is now several months ago, um, but where we now live, many people, as homes were being built, moved in in the course of the winter time. And because they moved in in the winter time, they had moved in and been in for several months before we had an opportunity to then actually meet them and greet them because nobody was standing outside hanging around uh, in the cold of winter. And so finally, as the weather broke and more people were outside, you could see, oh, it looks like um, this many people live in this house and maybe this is the age of the different people that are in there. And uh, two doors down from us uh, were a family of young kids and they looked to be about similar age as our kids, and we were playing in our front yard, and they were playing in their front yard, and two doors down, the kid holds up what looks to be like a, a gaming console, like a Nintendo Switch or something, but he's kind of like holding it up to show it off to our boys, and so I, I turned to our boys and said, look, look, I think he's trying to show you something. Like, we haven't met them yet, and I think he's, I think he's trying to get your attention. I think he's trying to uh, say, let's play together, and so uh, our oldest was then willing to okay, well, let me go see. And so he walked to the end of our driveway down the sidewalk. And he knew not just to cut across the yards and go straight to them, but went to the end of our driveway, down the sidewalks to the edge of their driveway, and then just stood there. And they were all looking at each other. And Amy and I are watching from two driveways away, and I'm like, this doesn't look like it's going to go well. <laughs> and he was kind of getting discouraged, like oh, you could see the body language almost having his head down. And then he picks his head back up, and he says something. And we don't know what he said, but then whatever he said, all of a sudden, then he walked down the driveway and started playing with his family. And then that brought his other brothers along, and they started playing. And so the next day, when they then continued to play and came over to our house, uh, the mom then told us, said, your son was so sweet, he just stood there and said, so I'm really awkward about meeting new people. I'm not good at this, but my name is Levi which then invited them to say, we're really awkward too about meeting new people. We don't know what to do, but our names are such and such. And so nothing about that was abrasive, but that required a lot of courage to be willing to go and stand and say hello to someone. And now it, it's resulted in months and months of just increasing friendship and joy. We all can think of different circumstances that require courage on our part, or maybe a relationship has gone cold, that we, to reach out and say, hey, is there something wrong? Is there something that I did to offend you? Is there something we can talk about? Uh, it would take a lot of courage for you to do that. <laughs> or it would take a lot of courage to be open and honest with your spouse and say, hey, it, it feels like our priorities are, are just getting out of whack. I'm not sure we're taking the time that we should to pray together or to seek God together, that we're just kind of, we're so busy, we're, we just keep doing the next thing. And I just want to, I want to say out loud, I'm concerned about that. It takes a lot of courage to say something like that. It takes a lot of courage to invite somebody new into your house to meet them and get to know them. It takes a lot of courage to say, I think I should volunteer at a new organization that I've heard about in the city. And it, it's going to, require a sacrifice of your time and you might go to a new place. All those things require a little bit of courage in order to act upon them. But here, this, the psalmist is r reminding himself of what God has done in the past, that the Lord is my light and my salvation. He's the one that's delivered us. 
He's the one that we can trust in. And if we're safe, even in the midst of our enemies, people coming after us, how much more can we have a sense of confidence that he's with us when whatever it is that we do, when we step out to try new things. Verse 5, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent, and he will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up, and I will sing shouts of joy. We have a chance every day to put that into practice, to say, to sing this song of humble confidence that inspires us and invites us to courageous action. And then lastly, not only courageous action, but also joyful patience. I love how the psalm ends in the repetition at the beginning and the end of verse 14, to wait for the Lord. Well, beginning in verse 13 is almost the benediction. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Here again, we don't usually think of action alongside patience, (laughs) but I, I think the psalmist is drawing these out, that we can do the things that God has called us to do, but he recognizes there's also things that we don't control. No one of us can control the heart of another person. What we ultimately long for in in the promise of God to be with him forever in eternity is something only he can bring about. And in our confidence of who he is and in our willingness to do the things that we can do, we still at the end of the day submit to God ultimately the accomplishments of all of our plans. To say, God, you have to make this happen. I can't just do this in my own strength, and no matter how much courage I can drum up, I can't make these things happen. What I ultimately want to see happen is what you and you alone can make happen. And so I want to wait for that with joyful patience. I want to wait for it joyful because I believe it's going to happen. There's a confidence that God is going to accomplish his purpose that what is revealed in the book of Revelation, that there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathered around the throne worshiping him, that's already done. It's a signed, sealed, and delivered promise of the one who died on the cross that he will have the prize for which he died, as the hymn writers have said. We know that. But in our everyday experience, we admit as well, we're not quite there yet. We're not every day experiencing the fullness of what that is, and so we're supposed to wait for it with patience. But because we're looking forward to it, we can wait patiently. We can have a sense of anticipation that something really good is coming. Uh, this is a challenge in our, in our own home as we think of our children, where for some we might say, hey, if you do this and that, we promise we'll give you this. And for others, if we say that same thing, they just want that thing right now. And they, they miss the part of, if you do A, B, C, then we'll get to have ice cream or popsicles or whatever. But once they hear the thing they want, they want it right away. And when it comes to what we all long for in communion with our Heavenly Father and in communion with one another as we all inquire in his temple, there's nothing wrong with wanting that right away. What we desire is a good and noble thing. But God works over time. He has a lot more patience and a lot longer uh, window of time than we do. And so part of having faith in God 
is waiting on God. Not doubting him, but just recognizing that the time that might elapse from the promise to the fulfillment is, might be very different than what we ourselves would imagine or desire. That was true for Abraham and Sarah. That was true for how God worked through Moses and liberating the people. That was true for how long David himself, even desiring to go from the tabernacle to the temple, was told, actually, we're going to wait longer. You're not going to build it. Your son's going to build it. And from the time of the promise of the Messiah to the prophets to before Jesus finally came, God works over time, and he is still working. We can have joy that he is actively at work, but we also have to have patience. And that's part of how we grow in our relationship with one another, to say to each other, what are you waiting for? What's something that you're anticipating will come, you're longing for to happen, but you also just need somebody who can wait with you and who's okay waiting with you as this takes time and none of us know how much time it might take. Say, oh, are you really willing to wait with me? <laughs> are, you, are you really willing to sit with me as we wait on the Lord to do what he's going to do, it requires strength. It requires courage. It requires the regular reminding, reminders to one another that he's going to do what he said. We will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And he's worth waiting for. The New Testament uh, uh, highlights that all these sense of expectation of what David is expressing in God and the temple is ultimately revealed in Jesus himself. That he is the beauty upon which we look, such that the Apostle Paul would say in Philippians 3, when he said, this one thing I long for was to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Because everything that David knew about God uh, only became more clear and more bright and more beautiful in the person of Jesus so here's a reflection on uh, Psalm 27 from the book, In the Lord I Take Refuge. Uh, Dane Ortland writes, What else do you need in life beyond the truths of Psalm 27? Fear pressed in on David and such is life. Who among us does not know what it is to wake up in the morning and as consciousness slides over us once more, feel clutching at our hearts the pressing anxieties and fears of the day ahead. This is normal. This is life. Consider the words of this psalm. Read them slowly. Drink them in. If the Lord is your light and your salvation, of whom should you be afraid? Even if your own parents forsake you, the Lord will take you in. And note David's single longing, the one thing he asked for, to dwell in the house of the Lord. Have you tasted this? Is the Lord beautiful to you? What is the beauty of God? It's his brilliance, his radiance, his sun-like shining forth in who he is for sinners. And in Jesus, we see the ultimate embody of the beauty of God. This is how Jonathan Edwards put Christ's beauty. Christ has infinite loveliness to win and draw our love. He is more excellent than the angels of heaven. And beholding his beauty, the angels do day and night entertain and feast their souls, and in celebrating of it do they continually employ their praises. Nor yet have the songs of angels ever declared all the excellency of Jesus Christ. 
for it is beyond their songs and beyond the thoughts of those bright intelligences to reach it. End quote. Our hearts are hungry for beauty. In Jesus Christ, we see the face of God, just as David longed to see his face. And so see him in the Gospels, see him in the Scriptures, commune with him, adore him, and find him to be the fulfillment of the deepest longings of our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son and our Savior who can give us a humble confidence that we need because of his great love and sacrifice that we can face each day and that we can joyfully wait with patience for his return. Father, we need your grace to be able to do that. We long to see you in the fullness of your splendor and your glory. We long to see every people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathered around in the worship of you. And we pray that you would fulfill that promise quickly. But we also trust your timing as we wait patiently. Father, help us to accept the responsibility of all the opportunities that are before us to act with the courage that you would desire as your children. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.